In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I are going to talk about Twilight Imperium 4th Edition and the expansion, because guess what? We came back into gaming in a big way, so stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, my name is Bruce, and I am joined by... This is Josh. And... I wasn't kidding in that intro when uh, we kind of came back with a vengeance with gaming in person and doing it safely, of course. Uh, but Josh got to play Twilight Imperium 4th Edition plus the expansion. But before we get into that, it's important to know who we are and what this is. So Board Game Impact, if you're new to the show, uh, we both work full-time in higher education and we apply our educational lenses to the games and gaming experiences that we are having and breaking those down for you and your group's benefit. If that sounds like interest to you, make sure to hit that subscribe while you're still on your podcast device. Um, but we are so excited to be talking about this, Josh. Josh, I have been like chomping at the bit waiting for you to finally play this game um, and it's because it's a doozy right absolutely it is a a monster of a game for sure yeah and i can't i I just i'm like literally chomping at the bit to like talk about all the things but real quick um while you're listening to this episode if you're hearing this as or around it goes live on the 8th of june um currently um, you can also pick up a copy of this and the expansion in the tabletop alliance uh Get a game, give a game, pre-order experience. So that's for the nonprofit that both John, uh, Josh, and I volunteer for. I don't know what's going. Like literally, Josh, I am st- like stumbling over my words. I'm so excited to talk about this game. Um, but if you want to pick that up, now is a really great time to do it because if you pick it up through this pre-order experience, we're able to commit to as an organization through the nonprofit to donate a game um, to a not Twilight Imperium, but another game to a school library community program uh, and, and help them use games towards their outcome. So that's a shop.tabletopalliance.org. Or if you want to find out more about Tabletop Alliance, just go to tabletopalliance.org or feel free to shoot us a message. Um, but Josh, um, kind of, can you walk me through um, kind of where this gaming conversation for you started because sometimes twilight imperium isn't just a hey let's just take that one off the shelf and start playing i can't even begin to imagine uh how you would go about just saying hey let's take this game off the shelf and start playing unless it is the only game (laughs) that you play Um, you say that but i literally read a post in uh there's a post on bgg uh, from like two weeks ago, somebody in the Houston area, because again, I'm in Texas, um, in the Houston area, which is about an hour away, saying, hey, I'd love to get a group together. I'm, I've only played this on uh, Tabletop Simulator. And this other person posts who lives about an hour away as well saying, yeah, my game group plays it twice a month, which to me is incredible. Um, I might be showing some of my positionality on this one way early. Um but yeah, I, I agree with you, Josh. This isn't a game usually where it's like, let's just pull this one off the shelf. No, certainly not. Uh, so yeah, this originated around the time that a lot of folks in our gaming group here in Colorado uh, started to get their second dose of the uh, COVID vaccine. Uh, a reminder to all of you listening to go get your vaccines if you have not done so already. Um, so yeah. we were talking about you know getting back into 
uh, some bigger gaming. Uh, you know, we had kind of split our group up into kind of four person chunks for the most part uh, to keep game days small. Uh, and around the time that we started talking about expanding, you know, bringing more people together to play games, we started talking about uh, some folks who had purchased the Twilight Imperium 4th edition uh, expansion uh, to who had not had a chance to really get that to the table much. Uh, and they specifically wanted to try an eight-player game mm. of Twilight Imperium. Go big uh, or go home, I guess, on that one. Yeah, yeah. That's the max player count. It is the max player count when only when you include the expansion as well. Correct. So... Decided we wanted to get, they wanted to get an eight player game together. Uh, we're talking about it. Um, a lot of the guys in our gaming group, or at least a couple of them, are obsessed with TI4, um, play it regularly. Uh, I got, there are a couple of guys here who were playing it on Tabletop Arena once a month um, wow. throughout the pandemic. Uh, so all of those guys got together. They were looking for a few extra players. I had never played TI4 before um, for a number of reasons, largely because generally speaking, whenever I want to spend a day playing games, I want to play multiple games or different types of games um, if I'm going to do a really long day. Uh, and and TI4 is a long day. Uh, all told, uh, we spent about 14 hours uh, at our buddy's house for this game. Now that is including taking breaks for dinner and, you know, smoke break and some, some things like that for some players. So there was, that wasn't 14 hours of gameplay, but it was probably close to 12 hours with an eight player game. Yeah. Um, Were you the only new player? I was the only new player. Uh, There were a few people at the table who had only played once or twice before and, had not played in you know a couple years or at least a year or more i mean so yeah that makes sense yeah so um it wasn't like i was um i mean i definitely was coming in it in with the most fresh kind of eyes to the game um but it wasn't like every person i was at the table with um is a diehard ti4 player okay uh, and I just I bring that up for a couple of reasons, Josh. And I thank you for kind of walking us through everything. And we're going to dig more into that player count and the time frames and things like that. Um, but I will say it, it's important to us, um, Josh, you and I always do this. And that is acknowledging our um, paradigms and our positionality. So our ex- prior experiences and, and dispositions to a thing. Um, typically, when we're spending an episode on a game, it's not a game that we've only played once. Um, that being said, like you said, this game takes a considerable amount of time however i've also played this game a number of times i've had in the past couple years i've been able to play it get it to the table five different times which if you use josh's math you know about how long i've spent playing this game um which is so much fun in in my opinion but we'll get to that later um but 
so just know, I just want to bring that up so that way you know kind of where we're coming from with this um, and our predispositions to playing it, um, as well as some other stuff we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but before we go any further, Josh, I think it's important to just kind of say what this game is if you've never heard of Twilight Imperium. Um, this is for many a grail game. Um, it is, you can get it mass market. Um, how, but they, I, they use the term grail game because it's a game that many people would like to have in their collection, but sometimes it's out of reach or just not possible for them because it does come with a price tag. The MSRP on this is $140. And then the expansion is another 99. Um, that being said, there's a lot of reasons for that. And we'll get into that when we talk about table presence and factions. Um, but it could keep the game out of reach. And so, um, but if you think about it, breakdown of how much time you set, you play it, it, it might be cost justifiable depending on your situation. Um, but this is the fourth edition. The first edition came back, it came out back in the early nineties by Kristen T Peterson, who was the founder of fantasy flight games. Um, and then went on to eventually, uh, be the over all of Asmodee North America. Um, and then he retired not too long ago and now actually started up his own game studio to help incubate and get other games to market in the last like two years. But TI4 is actually designed by Dane uh, Beltramini, uh, Corey Konitska, who you might recognize from uh, Star Wars Rebellion and some other games. And then, of course, Kristen T. Peterson. Uh, it's kind of this... This honestly, this version of this game, this fourth edition, is a, honestly a thank you and nod to the fan base and everything that this has meant to Fantasy Flight, as well as Christian T. Peterson's entire career. Uh, but the art is all done by Scott Schlumberg, uh, Schlumberg um, and of course published by Fantasy Flight Games, which is owned by Asmodee. Um, a little bit about this. Uh, so Twilight Imperium is a game in which it's called 4X. Um, so you're and Josh, you might want to help me with this. So it's the expand, exploit, exterminate, and do you explore. Know? Explore, exactly. So 4X, uh, usually very immersive, very thematic in terms of it's going to evoke stories. But in this one, it is a game of a galactic conquest in which for the base game, it's usually about three to six players take on the role of one of 17 factions in the base game, which then gets expanded to 24 factions, all vying for galactic domination through military might, political maneuvering and economic bargaining. Um, and each of those factions is asymmetric. Um, and there's a whole lot more to this, um, but it's pretty cool. Um, Josh, do you want to talk about like how you win the game stuff? Yeah, so this is uh, something that, that I was a little bit surprised by, actually, whenever I first uh, started learning some of the rules. Uh, so Twilight Imperium is almost as a little bit of a race game um, when you think about it in terms of scoring. It is a game that immediately ends when one player has scored 10 points, or in my case, with a bunch of players who really love this game and wanted to make it as long as humanly possible, uh, went for a 14-point game. Mm -hmm. uh, players can gain victory points by completing a number of different objectives. Uh, so there are public objectives, which also work as a countdown. Uh, so as you play through the game, you start with two face-up public objectives. 
And then at the end of each round, you will reveal a new public objective that everyone can work towards completing. Uh, some of those objectives are things that you will score uh, immediately, but most of them are things that you will score at the end of a round. Uh, so um, you will just kind of take one of your little markers and place it on a public objective that you've scored to indicate that you have scored that objective. And then you'll receive one or two points depending on how difficult that objective was to obtain. Uh, in addition to public objectives, each player also begins the game uh, with at uh, with one secret objective. Uh, at least for our play, we dealt out two secret objectives and you got to keep one, mm. um, which I think helps a lot uh, with with kind of determining your strategy early on, uh, making it a little bit more flexible in that way. That's that's just always a if it's not a rule. Uh, when there's a, if, if there's the ability um, for us to house rule that our game group almost always will. So you start with secret objectives. You can earn different secret objectives throughout the game. However, a player can never have more than three total secret objectives, both scored and unscored. Uh, if they ever have more than three, then they have to discard one of the unscored secret objectives out of their hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's really it, right? You are competing, uh, as you expand, uh, you, you explore and expand across this galaxy. Uh, you engage in combat with other players and you engage in political maneuvering, uh, with, with other players to try and score these objectives. And then, as I said, the first person to... 10 or 14 points, depending on the length of game you're looking to play, uh, is the winner. Yep. Um, some interesting things about this in terms of the how to play. Uh, the game's really broken into on, like, there's three different phases of every round of play. Um, so you've got the action phase, which is on your on your turn, which it's not a clockwise or things like that. It's actually there's these eight different tiles um, and one by one in a certain order um, that you can find out more in the how to play book and things like that. You're going to take one of these tiles and each of them has a special primary ability um, that you can you're going to keep taking rounds in uh, in that phase until everyone has used their special little tile. Uh, but what's really cool about these special little tiles is that they also have a secondary ability. So what, what I like about that, and we're going to get more into pros, cons, and stuff, but what's interesting is on somebody else's turn, if they're using that tile um, as their action, uh, their strategic action, then you actually get to choose if you want to do that secondary ability. So on other people's turns, you might be doing something for your stuff. Um, and you activate that in a certain order. Uh, yeah. But you can also go around. You can take different types of actions. So like tactical actions to like activate a space system or to move or to invade something or to produce more units on the board. Um, so there's and then there's also like component actions which are helping like upgrade your little technology tree that is going to be unique to you uh, because it's going to change based on what you choose to invest in. Um, but you can also pass um, if you're only if your strategic objective that little tile thing is face down. Uh, but then there's yeah. two other phases. Josh, did you want to say something there? Yeah, I just wanted to jump in with the the strategic thing. Um, this was yeah. something I wanted to kind of hit on. One, I I I adore, I love a I like 
a lead and follow mechanic, uh, which which this really kind of is, right? When I take my when I activate this tile on my turn, everyone at the table gets a slightly watered down version of yep. that action. And I, I love that in any game that I play. What was really interesting about my particular playthrough is in a standard game, no matter how many players are at the table, there are eight of these action tiles mm-hmm. that you are drafting out. Um, and you only get one of them, right? So they're in a base game where you only have a maximum of six players, you are always going to have two of those tiles not in play each round. Correct. One of the interesting things in an eight-player game is every one of those tiles has to be taken every round. And that just made for some really interesting maneuvering. You always knew that these different actions were going to occur. And so you really had to be thinking fully ahead of, okay, what do I do when these tactical actions become available to me? Mm -hmm. Or or, sorry, I guess those are strategic? Strategic, yeah. So essentially what you're saying is, just to clarify, I know this is going to happen. The question is, am I prepared for it? And am I know how how I want to use it? Because what you don't want to have happen as much as possible is for somebody to take their strategic action and then you not be able to capitalize on that secondary ability and everybody else's. Well, and it's interesting because it's really hard to get those uh the 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 ability to follow those actions, right? Yeah, That's a, a resource that you have to have access to. And so, you know, I at least found that on most turns, on average, most players had maybe three or four of those that they could activate. So you really had to think ahead of like, okay, which of these eight things am I going to follow? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, it just made for some really interesting decisions in regard to that. I thought that was a really unique kind of change that occurs when you play at that higher player count is that more of those uh, action tiles are going to be in play. And I thank you so much for that, Josh. I didn't even think of that at the eight-player count because I was so used to that six-player and having when those tiles are not taken, um, there's actually a little bonus that gets put on them to encourage other people Mm -hmm. to take them. Um, But there's two other phases. That is the status phase and then the agenda phase. Um, The the agenda phase is where I want to lean in here a little bit. Um, And that is really when... um, it's not even available at the beginning of the game. Like you can't do it. Like even if you want to, you can't uh, because there's a planet in the middle of this whole universe and it's called Mechatol Rex. And if you invade Mechatol Rex and you're the first person to do that, you have to have certain meet certain criteria and get to it. Um, you're going to get a victory point, which is cool. And again, it only plays to 10. So that's 10% of the game right there. But once that is there, it essentially symbolizes the UN of Twilight Imperium. And from then on, there's going to be an agenda phase in which every single player is going to essentially be a UN ambassador for their faction. And you will use the voting power of the planets you have control over to try and sway political agendas and rules and laws or just one-time bonuses uh, to planets, players, etc., or just decrees across the galaxy. So once it's unlocked, you're going to have this whole super dynamic and 
your players really need to be willing to engage in it, role-playing experience for essentially ruling the galaxy, um, which is definitely something unique and we don't see in a lot of other games. So that's why I wanted to talk about that one in spe- like specifically. Um, yeah. Yeah. The diplomatic aspect of this game, I think, is really, for me, where the meat and potatoes lies. That's the thing that I find the most intriguing and the most fun in this game if i can be kind of show my show my cards a little bit i mean you do play a lot of role-playing games i i do i love role-playing games and i really enjoy that and i i love that concept of trying to sway your opponents into doing what you want to do you know oftentimes i find it really entertaining when i'm sitting at the table with no preference as to the outcome of this, <laughs> right? The, the the law comes up. It doesn't affect me one way or the other. I don't really care. But one of my neighbors does care a lot. And so it becomes this fun little game of what will you give me to <laughs> have me vote for you? Um, and it, it's just, it, it really makes for, again, I think that, is one of the where where this game really shines is in that diplomacy phase that mm-hmm. that agenda phase because of the diplomacy that's taking place there um and it, it it does bring up you know one of the things with my particular playthrough is we kind of lost that uh, mm. about midway through right because we'd been going now for eight nine hours um, people were just kind of getting to the point of saying like, let's just get this game done with. And Ooh. so we weren't really getting into that debate as much. And we weren't really thinking through those decisions as intensely as we were in the earlier, uh, phases, uh, rounds of the game. I appreciate um, so, you talking about that. Cause that can sway things a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, it, it really I, I think it is. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Bruce, where you really do need players at the table who are going to at least commit, if not to role playing, at least commit to making an argument for their best interest. Yeah. And and really sticking to that argument and really trying to encourage other players to you know, vote in their favor. And I would say this, Josh, you and I have talked ad nauseum at times um, about how you're a player's in- investment and engagement in the experience that they're having um, can really sway things, but also a let's just kind of s- steamroll through this a little bit can almost foster a situation in which there's either some king making unintentionally, unintentionally, or mm-hmm. um, some other unintended consequences that also might drastically sway the how people leave that gaming experience. Um, Absolutely, and that is something I do want to hit on a little bit later when okay. we uh, get to that. Okay, okay, but I just want to put that out there now. Um, be, and so, especially it. I'm just going to talk about something now, Josh. Um, I know we got some other things and we're going to get to it. Um, But this is a game from my perspective that it's not because you and I both opened with this of like, let's not just like take this off the shelf because we're here, but it's a game where it's like, I am wanting to have an experience and I am wanting to invest in doing this thing. Um, and I think, and because it's something that I think will be cool and something that I want to see to 
see through see to fruition with. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so with that, know that that is kind of how I view this and we'll get into how does that play out um, as we talk. But I just wanted to put that out there, Josh. I didn't know if you had any thoughts there just from your perspective. Yeah, no, certainly I think this is a game that requires investment. And right, I came into it with probably a bare minimum amount of investment. And that bare minimum was probably about four hours of preparation. (laughs) Um, Right, Uh, of watching videos, of reading rule books, of learning how the factions that I had. So we we drafted out three factions to choose from at, at the start and like, you know, really looking into how do each of these factions play, what is going to be most suitable to my style of gaming, um, all of those different things, right, are, are things that you really need to go into. And so, yeah, I think it does require a commitment by everyone at the table and you know we even kind of sat down at the start of the day and said all right we're gonna put some like we're gonna put some ground rules to this situation right of saying like you know first round if you screw up an action we'll give you one gimme right one take back on, on something as long as it wasn't like a major combat thing um but after that you know the entire board or the entire group needs to agree to any type of change in, in an outcome of a situation. Right. Um, you know, somebody saying, well, I didn't mean to move this troop or I meant to bring this person along with me um, or, you know, whatever the case might be. If, if somebody wants to take that back, everyone at the table needed to agree to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, you know, kind of pointing out that this is a conflict heavy game. Mm-hmm. And so don't take anything here personal, right? Like we're we're going to be in conflict. Let's not ruin friendships over a game. Right. Um and so you know those were some conversations that we kind of had on the front end of like, you know, things are going to happen here and you're not going to be happy about some of them. Um but that's the nature of playing Twilight Imperium. Yeah, and and that's just also life and having those kind of conversations is healthy. And when you say, yeah, you're going to lose some stuff and it's combat heavy, um, combat comes down to a dice roll that you keep doing dice roll after dice roll in a set order. Like there's a retreat phase if if people want to retreat. But literally, like I played a game, Josh, where I had a massive armada, like ridiculous and I was going after Mechatol Rex to take it back from somebody who had a very minimal force but had some stuff going on, and I lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can happen. Uh, but I knew yeah. that going in. I'm like, I'm going to try this. It's going to be cool. And even if I lose all of my ships, I still remember that. And that was from like two years ago. So I cre- at least created a memory. Um, so I'd say you, you, you go in expecting some things, have those ground rules like you talked about, but also look at it like I'm going to be invested, but I'm invested because I want to create memories that are going to come from this. And I think that's where, for me, the beating heart of this game is, is the ability to facilitate memories. Um, but And we'll get into more, like our, our final thoughts and stuff later, but I just wanted to put that out there um, now because I think it, it, it super informs you um, listening to this of like where we're coming from. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, Josh, you talked about um, how you there's the 24 factions and there's the, the 17 in the base game and then also the add-on ones from the um, expansion. Um, with the factions, you did a draft, right? So you, everybody got three. I'm curious, how did, how did y'all facilitate that draft? Uh I don't know 100%. I believe it was done using an online randomizer. Okay. Um, so we put numbers one through eight into a um, thing. We initially started with just the expansion factions, and I believe there's only actually seven expansion factions, if I'm... Yeah, it's seven, sorry. Fact- yeah, yep. correctly. Um, so one person was left without one, um, but everyone else was dealt out one faction at random number one through seven. Um, and then we put the other, uh, 17 factions in, um, and then asked the, uh, computer to randomize those out for one through, uh, one, one through eight as well. Um, ending up with seven players had the choice of one expansion and two base. And then one player, unfortunately was stuck in the situation of only having base game to choose from but you know i don't know how much that really impacted anything um because you still had three factions to choose from and you could kind of game plan ahead of time and we knew who our factions uh what our faction options were going to be about two weeks in advance so we had Mm. plenty of time to think through and and kind of analyze that decision a lot okay and if you're wanting to not have to like build out your own like sorter for randomizing all of that, there's a link in the show notes for this that I've personally used for organizing games of TI4 that will you can put in the names of people and it'll you can say how many players and the number of choices you want per player or um, different things. And so it'll take care of all of that for you in a really cool way. Um, so, with this, you you talked about the draft, and so did you make your decision that morning? Did you uh, did you make it in advance? Did you have to declare anything? I just want to make sure I know. Yeah, so uh, we we made final decisions that morning, um, and in order to prevent anyone from like changing their decision after learning what someone else's was, um, we had everyone write their choice down on a slip of paper, um, and then we revealed those slips of paper. Um, similarly, uh, for seating location around the board, um, we just had a regular deck of playing cards pulled out ace through eight. Um, and then that was the order, uh, that people got to choose where they sat. Okay. And if you want, by the way, the thing also will do seating order, um, FYI. Okay. So you had, um, the seating order and stuff. It's very good to clarify. So you showed up, figure out where you're going to seat, all that kinds of stuff. Um, What's interesting, I think, that our listeners should know is that each of these factions, like, why are these factions important? Um, And so each of them is asymmetric. There's something about the game. Could be combat, could be production, could be stuff with resources or voting in the... um, like laws and all that kinds of stuff in the agenda phase or something completely different, like a nuanced little thing within the galaxy that this group is really powerful about, but within the confines of the game mechanics. So it might be also about those strategy, the strategic actions. So those little, um, those uh, cards that we were talking about before. Um, so Josh, what was your kind of take on um, the asymmetry there? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's interesting. I think, um, I, I, I will say that I believe I was at a bit of a disadvantage for some of the players at the table. Right. Um, and that I really only learned the, how the three factions that I had to choose from played. Mm. Um, right. So I didn't really know the special abilities or, or unique characteristics of any of the other factions. Um, ultimately I don't know that I, I never really got hurt by that. Okay. Right. Um, you know, it, it never really became a, an issue in gameplay, but I certainly think that it was a, um, it, it does give a bit of a leg up for players who are familiar with all of the different factions mm-hmm. and, and know what their different abilities are and what those look like. Um, but generally speaking, you know, I just, I found it just to be more of a guiding principle, right? Yeah. For me. Uh, you know, I didn't think that any one person had an ability that was completely busted to the extent that it was overpowered, uh, overpowering anybody else at the table. Um, and that's, you know, one, uh, a, a sample size of one. Um, I'm sure there are, plenty of of things out there that might argue otherwise that there are overpowered abilities. I just didn't see it in our initial game. Um, So I felt like it was a pretty balanced, uh, uh, you know, overall in terms of gameplay mechanics. Yeah. And honestly, these they're nuanced and small, really like it might be good at combat or can build large fleets or can use wormholes effectively always goes first or, um, start with this super cool technology called a war sun, which is essentially a death star. So you can kind of pick up on what their thing is from a distance. Um, but I think what you're referring to Josh in terms of the nuance and how much really is there, it's really flavor in my perspective and like a guide towards the beginning. Um, but it's kind of like other games we've talked about, like root where you're seeing somebody kind of going away with something. Everybody else kind of needs to keep them in check. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of the way I'd put that. Like, obviously everyone's going to be specialized in their thing, but this is definitely a game where it's like, you're wanting to keep each other in check, um, just a little bit because you don't want them to just steamroll through the thing because then they're probably going to steamroll. Um, a couple other things of note though, each of the factions does come with a unique, um, promissory note set of promissory notes and then some general ones. And what those are, they can be used to trade with other players to, kind of sway things in their favor, but also commit themselves as kind of like a little contract. Um, but the fascinating thing with these promissory notes, and I'm curious, Josh, curious, Josh, if you did this, promissory notes can be trade. If you give it to somebody else, they can give it to another person and all of a sudden mm-hmm. tie you up in a agreement with them that you were not predicting. Um, so that's kind of cool that a lot of games have it where it's like, oh, it's just between the original player and things like that. But no, this is legitimately something that can be passed around. Yeah, uh, I can't think of a time. I, I I think it was definitely brought up and mentioned of like, oh, you could do, you could trade me that person's promissory note, but they oftentimes it was not really in their best interest, so it never really happened. It was definitely talked about and brought up, and I think it is a cool little negotiation piece. I remember at one point, uh, somebody was holding a promissory note, um against another player at the table and ended up kind of 
blackmailing that oh. player into things of saying like, well, if you don't vote my way, I'll give your promissory note to this person you're at war with. Um, oh. And and so, you know, it, it does create some some kind of cool situations that, that can come up there. Yeah. Um, that's kind of so, cool yeah, that I, they were threatening with it. They didn't do it, but they just threatened it. Yeah, yeah. It was it was basically a um, you know, they came down to a what are you going to give me um in in debates around uh, you know, that diplomatic phase. Um and yeah, it was a it was a well, I'm not gonna give you anything, but if you <laughs> vote against me, I'm going to give your promissory note away. Mm, that's that's funny. um Huh. Yeah, so it kind of became its own little bidding piece, which I thought was a, a really cool way of of kind of integrating those um those you know, the I think it was an alliance piece, right? Mm. So it, it would have prevented him from attacking um his opponent uh on the next <laughs> round, which it was very clear he was going to do. <laughs> yeah, and so that's something about this game. It's not like it there's not many surprises to an extent. Um, you can kind of see there's probably going to be a battle over here um, in the next like two phases um, yeah. or the next two rounds or something. Um, so it's kind of cool. But there's one more thing that we need to talk about, and then we're going to get into components, table presence, all that kinds of stuff. Um, there's two ways you can go about this whole experience, and that is using one of the predetermined maps in the book, or there's also online balance generators for the maps because every single little planet system or asteroid system or wormhole thing and uh can be actually built out because it's only it's like it's on its own supersized Catan tile hexagon um with the exception that mechatol rex is always in the center um that's that's the exception there and then the player factions are spaced out in a certain way depending on player count so you can either use the ones in the book there's a nice little generator that I put in the show notes in this episode. So you can just scroll down and check that out. Uh, put in how many players and uh, some conditions you want. But you can also, if you're really experienced, I would not necessarily recommend this for new players. You can be dealt a hand of these tiles in a certain way. And then you go around and everybody puts a tile down over and over and over and over again. So a map building game before you actually play the game. And so, Josh, just for our listeners, which way did you play this? And what are your thoughts on the different ways of setup? So we went with a predetermined and we specifically went with the uh, predetermined by the book because it was everybody's first time playing eight players. Um, I think about half of the table, it was their first time playing with any of the expansion. Um, and then, um, you know, it was... My first time ever playing, there were a couple other people who hadn't played for, you know, a couple years, right? Uh, and so the idea of trying to do the map game, like that, is, I think that is a pretty advanced strategy mm-hmm. uh, uh, thing where you're you're building out that map in a way that best suits your strategy. And when you're coming into a game with minimal... <laughs> Uh, understanding of how to strategically build that map um i think that that's a huge learning curve yeah and gives a a massive advantage to the people who really play and know the game really really well and there were like i said a few people at the table who have been playing at least once a month for the past year so 
Um, you know, that, that would have been such a huge, huge swing in their favor that we just decided out of the book is, yep. is going to be the best way. It also, you know, we were already there playing for 12 hours. I can only imagine what it would have been for us to have sat there and gone through the AP of trying to build that system um, at the start of the game. Yeah, and honestly, I'm the right there with you. Of I would not recommend it unless you have like some serious, serious plays under your, under your belt, and so does everyone else. Because um, where certain tiles are um, in relation to factions can make a big difference. Um, so that's why I recommend using the balanced ones. Also, Josh, you and I have talked about this from a player experience thing when we're having a game night. If we know we're playing a game, we sometimes like to set up that game before people show up. Uh, so that way it's going to be a game in which we're able to like actually like just get there and like, let's jump into the action um, and let's get into this game. And I, the whole setup process, I think, would add a lot. But if again, if you're really, really experienced, go for it. Um, just know that you might make an unbalanced board, um, but that's yeah. really what you're going for then, to be honest. Um, yeah. 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 And, and we did, we had the game board set up when, you know, the night before, um, obviously, you know, factions and things weren't set up beforehand, but we, we did have at least the map set up whenever we arrived and yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I do think it'd be really, I think it'd be a really interesting game to play a, you know, where everyone is setting up the map, because I think that creates some really cool kind of, you know, scenarios where maybe there's a tile that's really good out there for you, but if you take it, you're going to give the perfect tile to your neighbor. Um, and, and maybe you want to kind of hate draft that away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think there's a really cool way to kind of do some of that. Um, but again, I think that is a, a much more advanced uh, game. Uh, of ti4 i agree and so josh you and i often talk about like table presence and like when you show up at game night things like that obviously this one hopefully be set up in advance but i think it's important just to talk about the presence of this game like the the box is huge and then the Mm -hmm. expansion box is also huge um but there's a presence of ti4 especially at like conventions and stuff um like i know going around bgg and there's definitely always every day at least one table that's there all day playing um, and they like commit to like, that's what they're wanting to do. So it's not only like the table presence, which I'm very curious of like, now that you were playing it, like what was the, what would you describe the presence as? But there's just a presence and a felt presence to this game, no matter where it's being played in a kind of cool and storytelling evocative way um, for everybody that's also around it because it can create some cool experiences. And when there's those big battles, someone's probably standing up and rolling the dice, um, especially if they put like all their ships on the line. Um, so it's kind of, there's a presence to it, but Josh, like, why don't you explain like the presence of this game, like those components and the size and scale? Yeah. I mean, even before the game starts, right. The table presence of just walking in and seeing this map laid out in front of you, um, you know, you have all of these little figures for, uh, of spaceships that, and different types of ships, right? Each each person has a player mat with different ships they can build. And there are, what, there's like nine or ten different ships. Something like that, yeah. That, that you can build out there. 
um, and, and each of them have their own unique minis and, you know, X number of minis per ship type. And so, like, just seeing those, like, set up in front of the players is really, really cool. And then whenever you start getting into the game and watching, you know, I think it's really entertaining from an outside looking in to just take snapshots of a game, right? You you see at the ba- beginning of the game, like, people building up these big fleets um and then you know midway through the game you know seeing how those fleets have expanded out across the galaxy and then you see somebody amassing a fleet in front of mechatol rex and and charging in and and then you know the battles that take place it is it is awe-inspiring really when you kind of look at it from and even from an outside perspective right i i think you can see those stories play out. You can watch um, because of how all of these things have, have so many figures that are moving around this board that you, you really get a sense of the massive scale that you're really working with here Um, because it is a, I mean, we, we've, we've called it galactic conquest, but it's almost intergalactic. Yeah, you're right. right? (laughs) I, I mean, it is, I mean, this is the known universe, right, that that we are working with in this game. And so it is, you know, you're jumping through wormholes and you are, um, you know, moving these fleets all around this massive, massive board. And so, yeah, I think that in terms of just straight presence, walking up to a table, seeing a game mid-game, I can't think of another game that has more stopping power what i mean by that is like random person knows nothing about games walking by and seeing this set up in mid game i think every person to a t is going to stop and say what am i looking at and stare and and try to figure out what is happening on this board yeah and i and i think that you just captured the soul of this game and its presence even for the players because I, I honestly when i'm playing it you talked about taking pictures and stuff and it's like i feel that i have to um because it's like beckoning me because of these things that i've never i never get to see otherwise um it's just yes uh i'm sorry i'm just kind of taken aback like thinking of some of the feelings i've had just sitting at the table with this game um, and also like approaching it and waiting until we figure out where we're going to be sitting by the draft um, and kind of like doing this kind of walk around the galaxy and looking for where things are. Uh, but what's interesting is all the ships and stuff start in your little home system on the, on the edges. And so it, it, it builds over time. And so it's, it might have this incredible presence, but you get immersed into it. So it's not like you're having to learn every single placement everywhere from the first set step, you can go out a little bit and a little bit. Um, but with that, Josh, I need to ask the very important question here. What did this bring out in you? All right. Um, it's a really interesting question. <laughs> Not a big question or anything. You know, I think depending on the point in the day that you asked me, I would have widely different answers. I think from at the end of the day, overall kind of experience, 
frustration would be the mm. the biggest thing that this the 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 that this kind of brought out for me um but you know start of the day sitting down um it, it's just pure excitement right this is a a an event that 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 you kind of go through right it is a day that you are dedicating to playing this one game you sit down like you walk in the door and and you sit down in front of the, all these minis and you're sitting there picking them up and looking at them and you're kind of admiring the the war sun minis that are just death stars yep um and you know you're going about this and, and you know, you get really, really excited when you start to build up your fleet and you have really cool moments of battles where you're just like, all right, here we go. We're going for it. We're going to send our troops in and, and see how this goes. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of different emotions, um, you know. You know, you can be over the moon in one turn and then completely devastated a turn later. Um, so there are a lot of emotions that this brings out. Um, yeah, and and I'll wait until we get a little bit more into some final thoughts before mm -hmm. I, I talk a little bit more about that frustration piece. But yeah, I, I think that there... I, I think either, one, you have to have played this game to the point that it's lost its emotional um, kind of drawing power, or you are always going to have just a roller coaster of emotions throughout a day of playing Twilight Imperium in my mind. And Josh, I think something that I think underscores that, that I think is important for us to me to ask you is, did it pull you in or did you feel that? And obviously you're sitting there for a while and playing for a while did it actually pull you in and keep you engaged during that time? Did that time fly by? What was that? What was that like? You know, I will say that it did not feel like twelve hours until it felt like twelve hours. <laughs> um, the first half of the day completely flew. For, we started at nine. Um, we like kind of took a little mini break. Around, well, not even a really mini break. I just looked up the clock and realized it was 1230. Um, <laughs> and, and that just felt like it went by in no time at all. Um, and, you know, that 9 to 1230, that's that's the length of a long game that I typically play. And so that kind of made sense. And to remember, me. this is a.m. <laughs> yeah. 9 a.m. to, to 1230. P uh, yeah. 1230 yeah, yeah. p.m. So, you know, we that was not super surprising to me because that's you know generally how i feel after most three and a half hour four hour games um and then you know the next couple of hours kind of felt the same um but i'd say right around the 10 hour mark i was uh i was starting to feel it right okay. and and it while when at first it kind of pulled me in and i'll just i'll own this right there came a point in the game and I would say it was probably around the nine hour mark that not only did I not have a chance of winning, I no longer had a chance at getting anything but eighth place. Mm. Um, and it was that point in the day where it kind of started pushing me out a little mm. bit. 
and and losing my attention and losing my focus and and getting me to a point of saying like you know i tried to reinvest myself of saying okay not going to do well right this is a learning game this is probably the worst way to be introduced to a game of ti4 if i'm totally honest um playing with a lot of experienced players playing an eight player game playing to 14 points mm-hmm. um playing mm-hmm. with all of the expansion material yeah. right not a great not way to best. be introduced um and so i was like you know i understand this and i appreciate this for what it is so i'm going to renegotiate my goal my goal is no longer to do well my goal is now to blow something up with a war sun <laughs> I don't care what it is. I don't care who it is. My goal is now to blow something up with a war sun. Um, Epic. Did you? <laughs> no. Oh, did not. Sorry. Um, you know, life happens. Yeah. But yeah, that that kind of. I think, and, and again, I think that's one of those other things with with just the setup that I had um, made for a not as great experience. Um, there were also some points in the game where there there was one point in the game where there was a pretty big infight that occurred that uh someone had messed up a rule that dramatically swayed um a large chunk of the game mm. for another player um and so there were a couple little kind of spats uh, uh between players where I was just kind of you guys are arguing. I'm going to walk away from the table and go outside and, and de-stress a little bit because this is getting to be a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah, like those were the points that I think really kind of pushed me out of that immersion. That makes sense. O- overall, I think it, it does a really good job of, of immersing you in the game once you start playing it. Um, but there are just a little, a few things that just kind of turned me off of that immersion and, and kind of kind of pulled me back out to to a point of you know saying you know i'm I'm not sure how i feel about this right now that's fair and josh i just need to ask this question and then i'm going to lean in on the other players um that 10 hour mark when you're when you started feeling it it's like ooh, i'm like eighth place is where i'm at yeah right? how many points did the top people have Oh, I mean, at that point... Like, were they already were, past 10? Yeah, they were at that 10, 11 point range, and I was at 2. So the game would have ended a couple hours earlier already. Yeah, yeah. So if you were playing a standard game, you wouldn't that you wouldn't have triggered that spot, potentially. Uh, yes, so... so the f- There were two points in the game earlier where I was kind of sucked out of it, and they both revolved around spats between other players, and they were just kind of sitting there arguing with one another, and the game kind of stalled out, and that Mm. always is going to suck me out, right? That makes sense. Um, And and at those points, no, they weren't going to be over, Um, but but it was when when it hit the point of like, it was no longer me being frustrated by the players and me. And it became me being frustrated at the game. Um, at that point, yes, the game would have been over had we played a normal 10 point game. Okay. I just wanted, I think because that is not the norm, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's not the recommended play. It's just like, if you really, really, really want to, you can go to 14, but like go to 10. 
Um, I just wanted to lean in there because I think it's important to clarify that for everybody listening. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So you talked about the game. Like there was a couple. There was a couple times where there were some tiffs, like about some rules. Uh, but I'm kind of curious if there was also like alliances that came out between other players or anything else between the other players that others would like to know about. Yeah. So you know, one interesting thing that happened within this game is a player, and and I think this goes negatively to both players involved in this. A player lost his home world on turn two. Whoa. Um, you know, we were 45 minutes into a 12 hour game and this round person, two or turn two uh, round two. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, he is, I think he was a part to blame in that because in round one, he vastly overextended himself and he mm. left his home world um undefended basically for right context for everybody else you can't claim public objectives and stuff unless you have control of your homework home world yeah yeah um i think in his defense this is one of the guys who had probably played twilight imperium two or three times and i think the last time he played it was back when uh ep- um third edition was okay. still out so it's been years um so it's been years, years since he had played so essentially right? consider a, a slightly more advanced you yeah basically um and the guy who's sitting next to him um is one of those guys who played it you know every month for the last 12 months mm. um and, and so right i i think that goes both ways right there's the you know you kind of set yourself up for this but then there's also the other side of like kind of a not so nice move um to take against someone who's not the most experienced player at the table um maybe not round two yeah certain yeah i mean certainly there is a point in the game where if someone's home world is undefended yeah you yeah that you are completely at fault and and it is fair game um you know i lost my home world um and i was perfectly fine with that i actually like i set it up to lose my home world i had a secret objective to lose my home world um and so i made a deal with my neighbor of um come in take my home world (laughs) um i will and, and then i will give you something to leave it for uh and let me take it back right and so we made that deal um and deals like that are non-binding he could have built up a massive army there and defended it and prevented me from taking it back but a he knew i was no threat to him in the game and Mm -hmm. b um you know he was just kind of being true to his word a little bit um so that that's one of those things i think is interesting is you can as a part of a deal um, make a future promise that is non-binding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's some interesting things that go on there. The only but, deals that yeah. are binding, it's important to point this out since you brought them up, the only deals that are binding are things that can happen in that second. Yeah, yep. immediately. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, and, and then there was a little bit of a fit thrown about, you know, we're I'm going to be sitting here for the next 10 hours and I, there's no way for me to win, to catch up. I'm effectively out of the game and 
well, you know, it definitely set him back. I think, you know, for everybody else at the table is like, you also control. I think at that point he controlled six different colonies. Like you have the ability to rebuild, like you're not out of this. Right. It's going to take you some time. It's going to probably cost you a a full round of actions or a full, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Round round of, of, of actions to get yourself back into this, but you do have that ability. Um, but ultimately what ended up happening is he kind of just set himself a vendetta and said, I'm going to spend my time in this game trying to spoil it for my neighbor who took uh, my home world. Uh, um, which, you know, I think can be fun in some instances, but sure. also gets a little tiring after 12 hours. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there there's some of those things that you can kind of have to watch out for. So... Um, and I appreciate you bringing that up because, like, for me, just to put this out there, um, I actually went to a small convention and just, like, a, a group of friends that then started inviting other people. Um, and I was slated to play a game of TI4. I ended up playing twice that weekend. Um, but I actually was able to... I didn't know almost anybody here at the thing except for, like, two people of, like, the 20 that were there. But because of the game ti4 like making some alliances in the game and stuff and getting to actually like immerse myself with players for a more extended period of time i was actually able to foster some cool relationships out of that that um just to kind of juxtapose that position a little bit josh of i it's really i think it's really partially up to um the players in that right um but it can also have some really cool beneficial things that come from it too Absolutely. And, you know, like I it's interesting. The the two guys sitting next to me are, are both guys who I game with a lot. Um, one more than the other. Um, but I ended up, you know. One of the guys sitting next to me plays a whole bunch and I play a lot of games with him, but I don't really know him all that well. Um, but he kind of helped me out like he didn't like do it at his expense, but like anytime he could make a deal with me he made a deal with me. Right. And and every time he made a future promise deal, he held up onto that future promise deal. Mm. Um, you know, we just kind of played really nice with one another in a lot of respects. Um, and, and I think that kind of fostered a closer bond than we had previous to that. Okay. Um, cool. And and so I thought that was really kind of cool as well. You know, we, we, we kind of spent a lot of time debriefing that game between the two of us because obviously he loves it. I had a very different experience from from him with the game. Um, and so we spent a lot of time talking about it. And I thought that was kind of a cool thing for, for bringing two people who do know each other a little bit closer. That's cool. Um, so I'm just going to move on to some other things. So yeah. on BGG, the stats for this game, I know we're pretty far in, but I feel like just kind of if you if you weren't curious like if you didn't know like really this is for Josh and I to have a conversation um, and just kind of dive into this just like you were talking about a debrief but if you're mm-hmm. wanting some more let's circle back to more about this game so it's currently rated number five overall of all games on BGG um, number four for thematic number four for strategy its average rating is an eight point seven out of ten which is pretty much like ten is if there's ever an opportunity I will always play this game so this is pretty high up there great. 
Um, the weight, though, is a 4.23 out of 5. Um, so that's the complexity um, based on user submissions and, and, and valuing of that. Um, BGG says for at least the base game, uh, so best with 6. By the way, the expansion, like I said earlier, really just came out December. So it's only been out for a couple months. Um, so don't know the best player counts for that um, expansion yet, but I bet the way BGG votes, it's going to be 8. Um, there's I- all... Yeah, we go ahead. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, cha- I'm gonna push back on that. I'm just saying, I, I think BGG people will put eight, but I think it'd be better at six. Yeah, I, I mean, every person at the table um, in an eight-player game said, "I will never play an eight-player game." Wow. Okay. Game. Sorry for me to say um, the other. Wow. No, like, and, and you, you could be right, right? BGG also kind of, I, I their rating system kind of fudges things because of a few outliers, but yeah, I, not a single person enjoyed playing an eight player game. Whoa. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I, I strongly discourage that, not just from a personal point of view, but also just from a given a lot of people's or given every player at that table. Um, and you know, maybe we're wrong. Maybe there are groups, Sure. That an eight player game would work for, but I'll talk a little bit more about it here in a second. I'll, I'll let you finish. But yeah, I, I wow. don't know that it will get a, an eight player best. Um, Honest, on BGG. Honestly, okay. And on, I'm going to just go with that because I haven't played the expansion yet. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, for me, I've also had a lot of fun playing this like three and four player. Um, yeah. Just with that, because also the playtime is that much less. And yeah, you're not, there's not as many planets and stuff, but I've really enjoyed it um, because the mechanics of this game are just cool. Yeah, it's somewhat less, but it's still pretty cool. Um, So I'd actually, personally for me, I actually really like that four player player count. Um, Just putting that out there. Um, Some other stats. I put a, a another link. I put a whole bunch of links in the show notes for y'all this time. Um, another link to this super spreadsheet of TI4 rankings. Now, this is really the the main core box um, factions because the other ones haven't fully been added in here yet because it's new. But what this is, it's a Google spreadsheet that is ridiculous um, and includes um, a ton, a ton of plays. Um, and so when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about there are, um, oh, how many, how many are actually submitted here? Oh, it doesn't tell me the number submitted. It's ridiculous. But what it is, it's a breakdown of every faction and then the number of times that faction has been in a game, the number of them, uh, and then the, the way in which like number of times where they've been played and then won um, or gotten second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. This is community generated by total victory points, all the things, and just this crazy, crazy cool Google form that says player experience levels of the players who have been submitted to this. There was 11,400 beginners, 9,300 intermediate players, and 4,500 plays of advanced players. Um, so that's just ridiculously cool in terms of the number of data you can have on the different factions and kind of if you really want to dig into the data for this game, you can super dig into the data for this game because it has a serious cult following in a really cool way. Um, the fun cults. Um, but yeah, so that's in the show notes if you want to go access that Google Doc. Um, it's I am a huge data nerd and so this was just lights up my day. Um, but I bring this up because 
one of the questions I asked Josh before we started recording was what factions did he get to choose from? And Josh, you talked about getting to choose from one in particular, and then there was a, a statement that was said. Yeah. So, and, and actually, I I will put this out there. I actually had two of the highest rated. Oh yeah, you did. You had the number one from. and number three. Yeah. Um, number one and one, number three in terms of win ratio, and then number one and number two in terms of weighted rankings. Yep. Um, and so the two that I, the one that I was planning to play was the University of Jolnar. Um, and someone, and I'm sure it was jokingly, uh, someone in the group, uh, made the comment of, oh, you really want to put a target like that on your back to start. Um, and I had, found this ranking system prior to playing um, and knew uh, what the ranking system said. And it kind of scared me off of it. I was like, is that really going to happen? Um, I'm a first time player. Do I really want people rushing me um, when I'm trying to get established just because the faction I chose is considered to be Number one. one of, if not the best, is the highest in the game. Is the highest weight, yeah, yeah. highest yeah. weighted ranking. So uh, you know that 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 was an interesting thing, and I think it there is a little bit of metagaming that is going on there within my game group. Um, that may not happen in every game group, but it is something just to kind of be aware of. Yeah. Um, um. Certainly, with the like Bruce said, the cult following of this game, there are people, plenty of people out there who know these kind of where these rating systems are and play it enough to to know what the better factions are in the game and what's interesting about this by the way i have played some of like the super lower ones and i've still won so like yeah um don't put too much credit into this is just one of those kind of curious things i actually really just like it in terms of look at this community coming together to like actually help learn about these 17 different factions and now 24 with the expansion put in there, which is crazy cool. Um, so Josh before, so we're going to talk um, just through a couple things real quick. So prep for the game, you talked to me, you spent four hours. What did those four hours entail? Um, watched a, a, a very short, very good video. Um, I, I'm going to blank on the the guy's name and I apologize for that because he's a phenomenal, he does a great job with it. He teaches the game in 32 minutes. Um, The title of the video is Twilight Imperium 4th edition in uh, 32 minutes. The the channel for that is RTFM, which is Read the Effing Manual. Um, RTFM. Yep. And he is fantastic i I strongly encourage any new players to watch his video um i also read through a copy of the base game rule book didn't have access to the uh, expansion rule book and kind of wish i would have um and then also uh i kind of did a little bit of research watched a couple videos about each of the four faction or three factions that i had to choose from and determining uh you know what how each of those was going to play, how each of them would fit into my general style of play. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how well they were rated in terms Mm -hmm. of like, is this a, not in terms of how good are they, but how good are they for a beginner? 
Fair. Um, was was something I was really looking at. Okay. Um, yeah. So you got that how to play book. You've got the videos on there. Um, there's also like the rule book. So this is like a typical fantasy flight style. There's two rule books. Um, so there's the like how to play, and then there's like the rules reference. Um, so just know that like it's the how to play book is good, but you really need to read both. Um, play time. I did the math real quick. I took the. 12 hours that you played that game at Josh, even though it was at the 14, um, mm-hmm. multiplied that out by number of minutes in an hour and divided it by number of players. And it was a play time of an hour and a half a player, um, which I'm kind of curious your thoughts there. And cause like I have always heard if for a new player, expect that player to take two hours, um, for an experienced player, an hour to an hour and a half. Um, so if you're playing a game of four people and they've all, no, and it's all new. It's new to all of you. I would expect eight hours of playtime if you've done the investment on the front end. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Um, I don't feel like I necessarily took substantially longer than other players um, overall. Um, certainly in the beginning, I took longer. But I'm also a player who generally will make mistakes rather than anal- <laughs> overanalyze. Um, so there are plenty of times, especially early on where I just made a move, um, that probably wasn't the best move. And that I'd sat there and thought every option through, um, would have realized that, but yeah, I would say that two hours for a beginner is probably accurate. And most people otherwise, I think an hour and a half to an hour, I think that makes sense. And those victory points, again, it was to 10. That's what the game recommends. But if you really, 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 really want to, um, there's some holdover things from like third edition and stuff for a long game at 14. Um, but again, I personally encourage more of the 10 um, because you're already investing for a pretty substantial time. And there's just some extra stuff that can happen um, with the 14. Uh, but with that being said, those victory points are really important um, so there's two decks of cards dark card. Then Josh talked about this earlier. It's kind of the timer of the game. Uh, they're going to get revealed as time goes on as rounds pass. Um, a new one gets flipped every time and the basic ones, there's going to be five of those out. Um, and then there's going to be five of the level two ones. Um, so you're going to go through all the level ones and then all the level twos, they're worth varying points between one and two level ones are one level two or two. And you can claim each of them only once, um, and usually you can only claim one per turn, um, per round. I'm sorry. Um, and so with that, except for like um, your secret objectives, like which you can have the one of, um, unless there's things that break that. Um, but really, it's important to know that there's a deck of those, right? And so there, they could change from game to game of what kind of the things they're going to give points for. Um, are really going to be happening. And so, but it's important to kind of chase those. Um, so that way you're staying competitive. Um, Josh, can you talk to me about kind of the, the, the victory points in your game? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. You know, I was also one of the reasons considering to take the, the university, which was one of the options that I had to take, uh, could have taken, um, ultimately did not. I um, had read a lot about how a lot of the victory points have to do with technology, which the university is quite good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 it was 
totally opposite. I don't think there were any um, victory point conditions that really had to do with a lot of technology. Um, if there were, it was maybe one or two. It was really production and military were the things that that were kind of highlighted by those victory uh, victory point conditions. Um, things like um, you know controlling Mechatol Rex with a fleet of three ships mm. at least, um, right? And things like that where it was uh, really kind of more focused on other things beyond just your your player board and i think that was another thing that really kind of i set myself up early to do a lot of planning victory points around something that wasn't out there already um Mm. and and really should have kind of done paid more attention to what was out there in front of me yeah because you can really do whatever you want to an extent in this game but doesn't mean you'll end up getting points for it um yeah and just because you might have gotten points for it one game doesn't mean you get points for it the next game. Um, yeah. And so it's important, definitely stay tuned to what's going on with those victory points because, again, that's going to be very important. But also, you can honestly choose to ignore them, but know that um, that's what you're doing um, and that's what's going to happen. And again, the game ends when somebody gets that 10 or, in your case, 14. Um, so we're just going to dig into our final stuff here. And so... Mm-hmm. Josh, let's start on a high note. What are some of the yeah. pros for you? And then I'll share mine. So I already mentioned the biggest thing for me, and that's the the third phase uh, in each round, the, the diplomatic piece to the this game. Phase. Yeah, the agenda phase. I, I mean, that's fun. I really like I I love those debates and those conversations, even for ones that I'm not involved in, just to kind of sit back and watch the chaos unfold um, <laughs> is is really fun and entertaining. I love that in a game. Um, the the um, player order tokens, the, the special abilities on, on those. Um, like I said, I love a I love a, a lead and follow mechanic. I think that's really really well done um, by giving everyone right because overall everyone has the same actions for the most part. You have some leaders in the expansions that give you some different bonus actions that only you can take, but pretty much everybody has the same actions to choose from. It's just how do you spend those? But those those um, kind of strategy tokens that you are playing there. They are kind of give it so you have a bonus that no one else gets this round. Um, mm-hmm. and but then you're also profiting off of everybody else's ability there. I think that's that's really, really thoughtful and well done. Um, I think you're 100% right. This can make for some really cool moments, um, really tense moments, right? Uh, we we right there towards the end of the game, you know, we're sitting there, it's between two players. They are neck and neck um, in, in points, and one of them controls Mechatol Rex. The other person is the leader, which means mm. he's going to be able to take the action uh, or special ability first next mm. turn, and he'll be able to, you know, get the um, one that would give him the extra victory point to win the game. Mm-hmm. And so they are just the imperial tile. Yeah, yeah. And so, right, two massive fleets just smashing into each other, basically for the victory. It's a really cool moment to have um, and really tense. And and I think it it does do a really good job of evoking a lot of feelings and emotion 
throughout from start to finish. Um, I, I think those are the three big pros that I think this game has going for it. Well said. Um, for me, I kind of working right off of that. For me, I like having experiences and I've talked on the show before that like I give my all when I'm playing and the investment beforehand. Like if, if I know people are bringing games to game night, I'm going to read up on the rules because I want that to go well. Um, and I want to do well, but I'm not there to necessarily win. I want to give it my all, but I'm really there for the experience. Um, and this is one of those games and the reason I have it and the reason I own it and the reason I'm buying the expansion is because this is one of those games that I know there's no other game in my collection that can facilitate an experience like it. And those little mechanical choices of the lead and follow of the agenda phase, like you talked about both of those things. Um, but also the other interactions with the battles and the agreements that happen otherwise. If you, We didn't even talk about this, but if your ship is in one tile and you're next to somebody else and they have a, a ship in their tile right next to it, you can do trading with them. Um, so there's a lot in this game to foster that across-the-table uh, collaboration in really cool ways and bring out some cool experiences in different ways at different times at different points. It's not just the same way every time. Um, and that those things are unlocked by things you do. Oh, I sailed my ship over here. Now we can trade. Oh, somebody has now uh, invaded Mechatol Rex. We now can have a UN essentially for this galaxy. And I, so that's my, that's my number one of the facilitation of really cool, meaningful engagement amongst players that then creates memories for me. Um, something else is that I, when I'm playing games, I, yes, you talked about Josh of like, I want to play a whole bunch of little games and stuff. I am somebody that I like to get lost in a game. Um, and this helps facilitate that in all the coolest ways of that research on the front end. But then the fact that I get to sit and I get to make choices and I get to change my asymmetric faction just a little bit with the technology choices I make and get to expand out from my home world and do these things. And the way it grows is just right where it sucks me right in. And I feel like everything else in the world has disappeared, but that table um, and the players around it and, so for me, those are the two biggest pros in, in my personal experience. Now, that being said, every rose has its thorns. And um, Josh, I'd kind of like for you to lean in on this and then I'll go too. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, there are absolutely downsides to this game. Um, you know, I'll kind of show my hands in terms of my overall thoughts, which we'll get to in a moment. I, I, really struggle and question as to whether or not I'll give this another shot. Um, I, 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 I think, and for me, the biggest thing, uh, it comes down to combat. Um, I personally despise dice rolling for combat. Mm. It's just, it is a mechanic that I hate more than anything. <laughs> um, and so, Obviously, going this probably wasn't the best game for me from the beginning. Um, generally speaking, I can get over dice rolling for combat when there's really, really good ways to mitigate that. Mm. And unfortunately, the only way to really mitigate that in this game is by trying, like, lucking into a card draw 
that gives you the ability to counter an attack or something like that. And so you're still dealing with luck to balance the luck, um, which which I didn't really particularly appreciate. Um, you know, I I got knocked down pretty early on in one in, in my play, um, mm. because I got shot down by somebody's planetary defenses mm. when I wasn't even going to his planet. You're I was just, just passing, passing by, just passing by to try and attack somebody else who I could have taken out. Um, and it really, really like one lucky shot sank my my early game strategy um, and really, really hindered my progress um, from that point on. Um, And and that, you know, a, I was frustrated because I didn't realize he had an ability. I didn't know the technology well enough to know that he could do that. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. But, but B, even then, he also had a bunch of extra abilities that let him draw roll more dice. And he mm-hmm. just like, and, and, but it was still, it was a 50, 50 shot that he would shoot me down. And the fact that you can sink someone's game on a 50, 50 shot, um, yep. isn't, isn't great in my mind. They're round at least. Yeah. They're, yeah. their plan. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're short term, their yeah. tactics. I, yeah. and I, and I agree with you on that. And, but I think that for me, my flaw, my con of this is is kind of twofold. One is it it really depends on the players, and I say that in a couple of ways. One of the investment. Mm-hmm. So if if we were to show up and play this, and I had sent all that stuff out, or we had sent stuff out, and most people showed up and who had read the stuff or consumed the stuff, but then never read any of it, somebody and then showing up and then. That I, A, I would hurt because I know we're going to spend the next two hours teaching you this game at least, right? Um, and it just added all of this. So that's that's the one thing. But then also the the players in terms of the investment of the play, like we talked about earlier, but also the drastic imbalance that can happen if somebody is really experienced and somebody super new. Um, and if they're, if they are a gunner trying to be cutthroat, that that is a con. Now, now here's the thing. It's important about games, games, games in themselves, no rule book, no game, no anything can really change the players. That's up to the players around the table and themselves. But when you're playing a game for an extended period of time, that can exacerbate the issue. Um, so I just do want to put that out there. So there's like the, there is a con of the player element of this, the human element, um, but for me, it also ties into that the player element of Josh, you mentioned how you didn't know that the technologies could do that. There's a lot of little nuances to each of the technologies to what it means if you were to go down different technology tracks and to ad- upgrade certain things, not upgrade others, and the capabilities therein that are going to be afforded from that. And so I'd say there is a learning curve even after you've done the investment of those little nuances and making it click for yourself. Um, That being said, you were also playing it in eight players. And so for me, I was thankful that I played it at like three or four my first uh, couple times. So the game was faster. Um, So I was able to learn the technology easier a little bit. Um, And also it came around to me faster. Um, But that being said, it it is a con of... 
there's a lot of little choices. Do I want to upgrade this? Do I want to upgrade that? And so there is the potential um, for some AP. Now, I don't think AP is a bad thing, but if somebody's really trying to math it out, there's a lot to math out if they want if they go down that rabbit hole. And so I think it's important to also keep a lens of like, let me see what I can do with the information I have to just make a choice and let's go forward and 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 let me just make those choices. But you really need to understand the fundamentals of some of that stuff. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, okay. yeah. Uh, it just is a lot to like wrap up. Um, but Josh, I'm kind of curious what, from what I said, what you said, what we've talked about, what things would you want somebody to consider if they're like, I've, I'm list- I've listened to you for the last hour and a half, Bruce and Josh. Um, I've never played this or I have played this. What things should I consider um, for this game moving forward? So things that I would say, especially to a first-time player, um, if you are generally someone who is not a huge conflict in gaming fan, this may not be the game for you. I fall into that category myself. I will give heavy conflict games a shot every now and then. But on the whole, I prefer low conflict games. Um, so that is that is one thing to consider. Um, another thing to consider is there can be some really heavy, heavy conflict moments, not just from a gameplay state, but also just a um player to player state um when someone feels like they're being targeted or or you know specifically gone after by uh players there is definitely a um i i mean i like to call it the munchkin effect that can happen <laughs> in this game of every like when someone starts to get an early lead it becomes everybody's goal and and rightfully so their goal to stop that person and so you can have a situation where five or five people are ganging up on one um because they jumped out to an early lead um and and that doesn't always feel good um and then the last thing that i would say to consider is from a okay last thing from a negative standpoint i guess (laughs) is um that this game is has some issues in my opinion with randomness (laughs) there is a ton of randomness in this game and if that's something you enjoy um then this game is for you um i don't particularly enjoy randomness but the everything in this game other than how you build your technologies, everything else in this game is is random. Has an for element the most part. of random. Yeah. Has an element of randomness to it. Yes, thank you. Um, so th- those are kind of some big things to consider. The last thing I would say is, like I said, it brings out a lot of emotions and it's a very exciting game. And And I think if I hadn't had quite the introduction i had i can see why it is fun um because it does elicit a lot of emotions in a really compelling way 
Um, and, and so if that's the type of game you're looking for, if you don't care about randomness, if you're really looking for a, a epic story um, and, and a really, you know, interactive experience and you don't mind conflict, this game is for you. Mm-hmm. This is 100 percent the game you should be playing um like right now go buy it, it it's, <laughs> it's worth it if that's the shop of tabletop alliance you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes um absolutely but you know if that's not you maybe give it a shot but go into it knowing that it might not be your thing so for me josh and and i appreciate that the comments you made because i think there has over time again this game originally came out in the early 90s right around the time of things like hero quest rolled a move and like oh you stepped on that square your character died um (laughs) just to put that out there and so yeah there is elements of random and as we've moved on as a hobby and stuff there are definitely more deterministic i can make everything in this i can make a a choice about and it's there is no card flip there is no nothing um to me i just want to put this out there to consider to me the quote-unquote random of this is mimicking the harshness of space right and how the smallest things can cripple you um like there's the quotes of like in the vastness of space no one can hear you like scream right um Mm -hmm. and so i think that that actually plays into it for me but again i think that the thing to consider is to go into this game no matter who you are no matter how many times you've played it or not go if you're if you're looking to play twilight imperium fourth edition if there's an inkling there do it um because that's the only way you're gonna know i think if it's for you is if you play it but do know it's going to have elements of area control and dice rolling and card flip of you don't know if the victory points you're quote unquote wanting to go for because you the strategy you might want to go through for the first three rounds might not be the strategy you need in the end of the game. Um, and so knowing that you're going to have to continue to adapt and to thrive um, and you might get beat down, but you can come back at different times, but you have to try and stay competitive. And as long as you're knowing that there's going to be combat because there's going to be combat then i think you're going to set yourself up for a pretty enjoyable experience but i think josh you talked about something earlier that i think is fundamental especially if you are playing with players you haven't played with before or new players um and that is to set some ground rules for your game group to set that experience up for success and you and i both say that like that's something that we actually want more of in just all gaming situations um because it's not just about the game it's about the players um and there is a the above the table interactions that are very very important, um, and so we want you to set that up for success for yourself and and have that social contract of like we're here to have fun and there's going to be times where we're going to have to fight each other and things like that and it, and it's going to be what it's going to be and the dice rolls are going to happen but know that we're just doing this through the game it's not a vendetta against any individuals and be just um, come from a place of love and care with that and. Uh, come to facilitate an experience for others um, no matter where you are in this game no matter if you are losing if you are winning come at playing some of this stuff just from me to you um, just trying to see for the best experience for the the whole Um, and because then you're going to have gamers that are going to be around for more things um, just to put that out there Um, so overall thoughts i think 
from the very beginning of this episode, I have been very transparent in kind of where my thoughts are. Twilight Imperium fourth edition is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, if I can't wait to play it again, I really can't like I am amped from this conversation to play it again. Um, looking at pictures and prep for this. And right now I'm just like, ah, I can't wait. Cannot wait. But I've also had different experiences than you, Josh. Um, Mm -hmm. But my overall thoughts are that I personally, I look past all of the dice rolling and the combat things like that because, oh, that's just what Twilight Imperium has for me. Um, I don't view that as a whole thing that I try to avoid at all um, personally. Um, But that's my personal choice and my approach to this. Um, and also what calls on my heart for these things. Um, but the amount of meaningful choices I get to make around my technologies and, and feeling that empowerment of making my faction awesome and the way I wanted it designed, even if I lose horribly, I find that that's still cool. Cause I was able to like, I was able to make my faction based on the opportunities I had in front of me. And I think that's cool. Um, so I personally cannot wait to play this again. I have pre-ordered the um, expansion and I can't wait to play it at three, four, five, maybe even six players. Um, but I just know it'd be easier for me um, to get it to the table probably at that three-player count. So that's probably where it's going to come out to next. So my overall thoughts are absolutely staying in my collection. Very thankful I have it. Um, it's made some meaningful memories for me and I love it. But I know that's not everyone's thing um and that's completely fair so josh yeah you know overall um it, it's interesting uh i left so it was about two weeks ago, and yeah a week ago now uh that that i played this uh a little over a week ago and i walked out of that game saying I don't think I ever need to play. Like, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I had that experience. I don't think I ever need to play TI4 again. Um, And I was pretty definitive about that. That being said, I can't think of the last time I had a game take up as much, like, headspace Mm -hmm. in my brain, like, in the following week after playing it than TI4 has. And you play Um, a ton of, like, crunchy, crunchy games, Josh. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it just kind of it, it keeps coming back into my head. And and part of that, I think, is is a lot of talking to the f- players that I was playing with. I've I've never debriefed a game as much as I have with this game <laughs> um, with various different people. And then, like, even now talking about it with you here on the podcast feels like yet another debrief of this game for me and the things that everyone keeps saying right is um you know you should we shouldn't have played it you shouldn't have played it at eight player on your first playthrough um eight player isn't all that fun anyway uh you know there are there were mistakes that i made very early on that i actively know that i should have um that that really hurt me long term um right there are a number of things that that go into why i didn't really have the greatest experience i think um and so i don't know maybe i will maybe i won't 
I think I'm to the point now where if the opportunity presented itself again, um, if I had a group say, hey, we're planning a TI4 night, um, are you interested? As long as it was within that, I would say four to six player count, I, I like just playing it once, I think that I, I I can already tell that that is where I think that game would shine the most is probably four to six. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was within that player count, I think if we didn't play with the expansion, I think I would like to get a play of the base game in at some point. That's fair. Um, if that was kind of the setup and that was the setting and it was players that I knew really well, I'd be all, I, I think I'd give it a shot. I, I think I would give it one more chance um, to show me, I think what it really has to offer because I don't know that it showed me everything it has to offer in that first playthrough. I think that's awesome. And I, and I appreciate the introspection that you've been doing on this. And I, I think that you hit the nail on the head there, Josh, of, I think there's something to when a game is still having you a week, two weeks later, like think about it and process it and talk more about it or spend an hour and 40 minutes talking about it with a guy in Texas, (laughs) um, that others are going to listen to. Um, and so Honestly, here's the thing. TI4, it's a hallmark of the board gaming world and lore and history. And if if there's any hallmarks in anything we've talked about, um, do dig into TI4. Watch that RTFM video. Um, one other thing I actually want to point our listeners to, I want to point you to, is if you're wanting to hear more about like the the following of this game and kind of the creation of this fourth edition, I got to give some serious credit to shut up and shut up and sit down. Um, they did a documentary back in 2017 called space lions in which, um, Quinns flew over from England, um, to, uh, as North America and fantasy flight and interviewed, uh, Corey Konetska and Kristen T Peterson and went through all the history behind this game, where it came from, some of the different factions and, and the art behind them and what led into the creation of this fourth edition. Um, that's just a really, really, really good job. It's a 47 minutes. It's on YouTube. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. And so if you want to dig into that also, I just would encourage that. Um, but Josh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for our listeners before I absolutely close this out? Um, yeah. You know, like I, like I think like what Bruce said, it, I think Bruce hit the nail on the head on this one. Um, and that if, if you have an inkling that you may enjoy this game and you have an opportunity to play it, you should, you should try it. Um, it, it, I don't think it is everyone's cup of tea, but it is worth the experience. Um, if nothing else. So yeah. And, and that's kind of what I would say. Um, I'm also generally of, of, of a kind of mind to, to think about that with pretty much every game, right? It is Everything is worth your shot once, maybe, um, especially some of these bigger kind of games that have a lot of popularity behind them, right? Mm-hmm. People like them for a reason. Um, and not every game is going to be your t- cup of tea, um, but it's worth opening your up yourself up to those experiences because I think more often than not, you're going to walk away with at least a better understanding of, of kind of what you think about certain types of games and, and how you feel about certain experiences and, and 
ways that things that different types of games bring out of you. Yeah, and I think that's really well said, Josh. And of course, with this being such an epic game, this has been such an epically long episode. And so we thank you for sticking through this episode with us and engaging in this really fun uh, for both of us and and thoughtful conversation um, about this hallmark of the board gaming world. And so we just want to say thank you for hanging in there and and listening to this. Not all episodes are are in this length if this is your first episode. Um, But thank you so much for listening to Board Game Impact. If you appreciated this episode, we also want to encourage you to go on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. Uh, If you want to help us be more discoverable in whatever podcast platform you're listening to, we'd really greatly appreciate a... uh, a five-star rating and more importantly just sharing this with somebody maybe they've been talking about hey what's this twilight imperium thing maybe share it with them and so that way they could learn a little bit more about it and and get some resources on where to go or if, if you have this and you're wanting to get some resources and this has been helpful like let us know that um shoot us a message over on our facebook or on our instagram shoot us a message to let us know what links you ended up using because at the end of the day, we really just want to benefit you and your gaming group. So that's what we're really here for. And we're using those educational lenses to do so. We just want to say thank you so much for um, listening. And we encourage to, and we encourage, we look forward to getting another episode out in the next couple of weeks. And so until then, go make your positive impact on the world. <laughs>